Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's People First. My guest this week is Hope Timberlake, who is a speaker, trainer, and author who focuses on the communication side of leadership. We've all heard the old adage that we would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Feeling a little tired, that one. But the reality is true. And even as a professional speaker, I can vouch for the fact that I still get nervous before every event. So Hope is going to share insights from her new book, Speak Up, Damn It, How to Quiet Your Fears, Polish Your Presence, and Share Your Voice, which I am hoping that I'll also get a couple of nuggets from our conversation, Hope. So welcome to People First. Thank you, Marek. I'm so happy to be here. And I don't think you need very many nuggets, but it's uh, I, I do understand that universal feeling of fear, no matter what the audience is, how big, how often we do it. It's universal. Yeah. Well, I've learned to turn down the nerves and my team now know that I do like this 15 minute kind of pacing about but just before I go live and my mind is going like, I'll never remember. And what am I going to say? But it is like muscle memory. And my take has always been anybody who says they don't get nervous before an event either hasn't prepared or is lying. Lying, yes. There you go. We all get nervous to a different degree. But before we dive into the insights from your book, Hope, um, I want to start with my usual question, your origin story. So when you go back to elementary school and the teacher is asking you, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was your answer back then? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And I have heard you ask it and I, I'm always interested in hearing where people, how people um, respond. I'm going to turn, twist it around a little bit and say this, the enthusiasm with which I would answer that question was always there. I raised my hand. I was happy to contribute. And I had different answers. I never had this one linear path of like, I need to be a which actually reflected my career because at times I wanted to be a lawyer Mm-hmm. At times, I wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and uh, I never thought I want to be a you know communications consultant or an expert in you know the communication side of leadership. That was not my answer, but these different passions, um, the, the thread among them was I always wanted to do things with women. I'm one of three girls, the oldest of three girls. I always wanted to do things to make women's lives better in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that from the research and the conversations we've had around your work. It's helping those with an underrepresented voice to be heard and to stand in our truth. So what were some of the pivot points then that did bring you to where you are today? Yeah. So I, after college, decided I studied political science, which is not usually a good precursor to med school. But after college, I thought, oh, I want to go into the medical field. And I was lucky enough to get a job doing research and outreach programs at a hospital in San Francisco. And that was working for breast cancer outreach programs and research. And one of the things that happened is enjoyed all the work, but one of about five of my projects was focusing on how to get doctors to communicate in more concrete terms to patients because they're great at numbers and great at stats and percentages and all the data. And and I'm generalizing, of course, but in this particular field, in this particular time in the nineties, there wasn't a great way to communicate 
What does it really mean for you to do chemo if you are a stage zero or stage one breast cancer patient? And what is the toll on your lifestyle? Or what does that mean in terms of side effects? And so trying to translate the data into mm-hmm. concrete terms and getting doctors to get more comfortable with, with that type of communication was really the inflection point where I thought, okay, this is really important work. And this is the kind of thing that's universal. People are really not good naturally at recognizing what their listener needs, how to explain it to them, how to address the fears, how to uh, communicate in ways that really resonate. And that was the beginning of my communication career. And what I find in the work that I'm doing with leaders too, it's in that scenario where, you know, emotions are raised because I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. am I going to successfully navigate this breast cancer diagnosis or whatever Um, where the outcome is unclear. And to your point, translating a lot of technical knowledge that the doctor has lived and breathed for ages into something that I can connect on through all of that muddiness of my own thoughts. Right. It's an art and a science for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So your book then, Speak Up, Damn It, How to Quieten Your Fears. Let's start there. What does your Mm. research show? around the fears that can undermine our communication effect. Yeah, well, I'll tell you um, by way of a story. And I spent a lot of time with the mechanics and the tactics and the strategies of communication. And it was, you know, a lot of frameworks and things of that nature. And about five years ago, I was invited to to one of my clients to speak. And they said, like, great, why don't you do that, you know, what you do to our team and and do it to a a broader audience. And it went well. and, And They said, well, would you do that again? But this time, would you talk more about courage? And this is going to be to 500 of the women in our organization. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, 500 women in a room, they're not going to want to talk about courage. And sure enough, when I asked, okay, let's talk about how nervous do you get and, 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 and what does it take to develop courage and what prevents you from having it? I mean, they, it, it, it was the whole room erupted. Everyone had something to say. They all resonated. They all related to this idea. They weren't embarrassed to talk about it. And it made me realize that this is really a conversation that needs to happen more often. Uh, and I've had these conversations one-on-one, but I've just never seen it in a large group. So the the reality is I've worked with a lot of leaders and I've intentionally in the last uh, seven years or so tried to work with emerging leaders more so than the leaders I had spent years working with. And even when you're at the very tippy top, even when you've done an all hands meeting over and over again, or you have presented to the board dozens of times, everybody gets nervous. Like you and I started this, this episode with. So there's this universal universality of, of imposter syndrome, nervousness. We can do things. We can over time with muscle memory, we can over time learn strategies and tactics for calming those nerves, but it's really something that happens universally. And I do see it more often in in women than men. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the more that someone feels this need for perfection, this need to do it, get, do it right, the need to really get their presentation perfect, the more that they are focusing on themselves and not on their key to success, which is how do I connect with my audience? How do I connect mm-hmm. with my listeners? And when we can reframe that, and this is what I do over and over, is talk about like that same energy that you're putting towards yourself, just reflect it out. Think about 
get curious. I wonder how they're going to take this idea. I wonder how they're going to use it. I wonder what questions they'll have and really spend that energy focused externally and not internally. So there's one tactic that those listening can do already. Focus in externally on what your audience is looking for. They don't even know what you're going to say versus inward on the nerves. What other tactics do you have then for calming the nerves before we can even get into delivering our message? Yeah, right. Uh, one thing is uh, there's so many things. So I talk about it in, from the perspective of the, the cognitive things you can do. So having a mantra and just focusing on your mantra. Um, a preparation tactic is often what we do is we just feel like we need to memorize the whole thing or have it all perfect and just distill what you need to say into th- two or three key messages. And that, that's a practice everyone should do anyway. But just to right before you get in there, do something physical, like go for a walk, um, get away from your desk, your, your, the room you're going to be in, the camera, and just remind yourself, okay, I want to share this and this. It's a conversation. And these are the two things I want to share. Um, physically, you know, moving, getting out of your, out of your, out of your scene, getting your nerves, you know, direct them in a different way, power posing, Amy Kennedy's power poses. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whether it's, you know, any of these positions, but there's so many things. I have a whole chapter on all, all the different nerve strategies, but if I'm going to boil it down, what you said earlier around really getting externally focused and thinking about the one or two messages that they need to hear. And then do something that is physically helpful for you, whether that's grounding your feet into the ground, whether that's taking a walk around the block, deep breaths, power posing, find that one thing that really helps you get in the moment, stay present and be ready to connect with others. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's channel your curiosity. I find when I find myself getting disproportionately nervous is being curious around what's triggering it and also reframing it from a potential sign of failure, but to one of it means I care even more about this particular session, this particular keynote, and how do I then build and harness from it? Yes, I love that. The curiosity and the reframe of, of, you know, from nerves to care is, is the great strategies. You mentioned earlier that you enjoy working with emerging leaders, and there is no doubt that the ability to communicate is key as we move through our careers, whether it's engaging our team, whether it's inspiring the organization at an all hands, whether it's representing our company at a a keynote. So how have you seen, I'm just obviously drawing the window here that we're all living in at the moment, many of us are now having to learn to communicate through the camera, make mm-hmm. love the camera. Um, yes. How does how do our communication tips and tools change when we're we're talking through this versus in person? Yeah, it's a great question. It's really really tricky. We're all navigating it, and it's even interesting uh, watching some of these video casts, YouTube's, and things from when we first were mm. online to now. We've gotten a little bit better about our setups and our cameras and angles and eye contact. Uh, but a couple things that I recommend, especially with emerging leaders, often what happens is they can feel like the only one in the room, the only one of their at their level, the only one of their gender, their sexual orientation, mm-hmm. their race, whatever it may be, their 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 um, personality style. They might be introverted, and everyone else is extroverted. So there's already that fear and that I am different than others, and that can be incredibly, incredibly daunting. 
So a couple things that sound simple, but can be really powerful. And this one feels maybe too simple, but the idea of hiding yourself. When you're on a Zoom or, you know, all the different platforms have an ability to do this where you can hide yourself view so that you can really focus on who you're talking to and what they need rather than having that cognitive load of like, oh, what does my hair look like or my background? Or mm-hmm. we're drawn to looking at the image of ourselves. It's like if we go to a restaurant, and I don't know if you if, if your listeners will remember going to restaurants, but some of us are doing that these days. Um, and, you ha- and you're seated with a, with a mirror behind the, the people that you're, you're dining with. It's really hard not to look over at the mirror, kind of do a little primping or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So the first tip, tip is basic, but very helpful is just to hide yourself you. And really that symbolically and literally helps you connect to others. Yeah. The other question I get a lot, and it's actually not in my book. This is, this is an extra tip, but um, the question I get a lot around uh, those people who are nervous in these new environments is what do I do in the beginning of the calls? You know, I've got to present and I've got to, um, I've got to be on point and I'm nervous and that small talk just really, really freaks me out and I'm not sure how to handle it. And what I've experienced, I'm curious um, to hear your, your perspective, Mariah, because this is, this has just been sort of newly, um, newly formulated ideas is that when we're on a call and, you know, certainly we're coming on in a staggered approach and there is this need, especially if it's like your meeting to present do I wait for everyone to get on? Do I draw everyone in? And I have found that when somebody starts to go deep, starts to connect with one person on the call, talk about their background, like their literal Zoom background, or what's happening in their you know, in their hometown or wherever they are that in that moment, but they, they connect with them on a personal level, even if not everyone in the room is or in the virtual room is on in that conversation. It disarms people. It feels more casual. It feels more natural. It's like we're Mm -hmm. having a conversation with one person and it just makes everyone feel more comfortable than trying to do this funky dance of like, okay, drawing this person in and that person in, and we have a start of this conversation and we don't really finish that conversation. So I'm curious what you've seen. Have you, have you, do you feel like you've noticed any, like when people hop onto these calls and, and, and have to present what, what strategies tend to work and to make people feel more comfortable? So I agree, and I'm hearing it from leaders all the time. This is creating much more of a hub-and-spoke sort of yes. relationship where we all take it in turns. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm after you, and we're trying not to interrupt each other. Right. And whilst that can feel very respectful, it's also reducing some of the little side conversations that we would have in meetings, and it's certainly breaking down the horizontal relationships across right. the organisation. Right. And so what I'm hearing, leaders, and what I'm trying to do as well is, to your point, is to have and reinsert that small talk at the beginning and or at the end of the meeting. Because mm-hmm. in a 3D world, you would stop at the restroom on your way through the building right. or grab a cup of coffee or you'd be stopped by a colleague and we'd arrive a couple of minutes late and then sit down and nobody would comment on it. Right. And then right. the meeting would get started. Yes. But here in this virtual world, we seem to be beholden to the um, to the meeting reminder. Yes, and we're late by a few seconds. We're almost interrupting the the dynamic by oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Right. So two things: one is to deliberately and thoughtfully make the small talk as you've suggested, but I'm also finding that chat is your friend because mm-hmm. you're, when you've got five, ten, fifteen, a hundred people on the call. 
right. can't necessarily do that with everybody. Right. Being able to send a personal chat to you and say, hope it was so great to see you. How are you doing? How was the weekend? Right. So starting making those connections yes. can just help people feel included versus yes. one of many on the celebrity squares. Yes. And I, and I completely agree. I think that chat is your friend. And I do think a lot of the emerging leaders I'm working with, they're not feeling comfortable because often they're, they're chatting to people who are higher up in the org. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, with the, the trying to do the small talk, trying to create some rapport or having the pre-meeting, you know, having the version of like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm speaking to six people. Can I get a 15 minute coffee, virtual coffee on the books with them? the day before, the week before, to have that that um, established rapport before I go in. And then for them, just in, you know, let's just say you've got the, the person who's got to propose an idea that needs to be approved by leadership, really getting that opening down, you know, whether it's, it's, it's you know, age old wisdom, but, it, but that idea of like, I never, ever want to see people memorized. It just doesn't come off as authentic. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of brain power. But if you're going to really, really have something perfected, that this first couple lines, and whether it's asking a question, it's setting it up clearly, it's, it's letting them know what the objective is. But just when you have those one or two opening lines really thought through around what do they want to hear? What's going to be interesting? What's going to grab their attention? And how do I rehearse it in a way that it demonstrates I'm confident and interested in this idea? That helps you get going. It's always a little hard when we when we trip in the opening. So if we can, we can really smooth and enter in a smooth way, the rest will typically go smoothly as well. I agree. That reduces the nerves. If you can um, position your opening two or three sentences, that's all it takes because the rest has to be improv if it's going to be a two-way conversation. But if you are thoughtful about those two or three sentences that position, here's what I'm going to be sharing, or here's the decision that we need to be making and why it matters, it yes. helps us to communicate, going back to your doctor's example at the beginning, it helps us to communicate the salient points, yes. hopefully meeting the needs of the audience, and gets that balance between a rambling, waffling opening and something that's too short, rip the Band-Aid off to right. somewhere in the middle where I now can adjust from what's happening in this meeting. Oh, it's Hope. Mm -hmm. She's sharing about her book. Speak up, damn it. Okay, mm -hmm. I've caught up. And then we're starting to connect to and how might this impact or help me? Exactly. So you have to be ready for the improv that follows. Exactly. One of the things I hear from leaders, especially when they have the courage to watch themselves or listen back, mm, yes. is that they have those awful four-letter words, the filler words like like. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I know that's not a four-letter word. But sure. And, but and is a, a three-letter word that can also be one of those mm -hmm. sneaky ones that comes out where we continue to link all of our ideas with an ant. And so it's perhaps mm -hmm. less obvious than the, um, uh, like, so kind of just, I just have an idea. Yes. So you are already what you just said in one simple sentence, uh, really strikes a chord with me because the first thing you said is when they listen or watch back. And if I were to say there's, if there's one golden nugget, there's one silver bullet, there's one thing that they take from this do anyone at any level, if you're a, you know, a mid-manager and you want to be seen or have your ideas heard, if you're brand new into the workplace, if you're a leader at the tippy top, watch and listen. 
and do it regularly. And not just those high stakes meetings where you're on a stage at a conference or even the, the town halls are all hands, but find a meeting every week. Half of our meetings are recorded. Can't we go back and watch and listen? And I would even say do them separately. You know, sometimes listen because then you'll really notice, oh, I'm linking those sentences with an and. And other times you want to watch to see, okay, my eyes are looking away. I'm looking distracted. I have that neutral face that can be defined as something else. Um, but the watch and listen is key. And then, of course, the real question you asked was, what do we do about those distracting mm -hmm. words, those filler words, those unnecessary justifications? First of all, you need to know that you're doing them in order to know, know that you need to do something about them. And then think about how you can incorporate, how you can feel brave, how you can say a statement and pause and wait for their reaction. Think about this as, I talk about this as like a ball of communication. So you're sharing these ideas and I'm throwing out this ball of communication or this idea to you. Yes, nice, <laughs> nicely caught, beautifully caught, excellent. Now what's happening is you're throwing back your reaction. Okay, so that's my pause. So I'm saying this really interesting idea, this maybe it's a controversial idea, maybe it's an idea that I need some feedback, but I'm gonna throw out that idea. I want to take a pause to wait for the reaction before I decide, okay, it's clear I need to explain more. They didn't totally get it. Or I can see that they have questions. Or no, everyone's nodding, they're on point, I need to keep moving on. And even though that communication ball game of throwing the information, pausing while you receive the reaction, that often happens at the end of sentences. When you start incorporating those pauses, those moments of reflection, those moments of collecting the reaction intentionally, you're more likely to be more intentional with the things that you say within your thoughts. And you created this pattern of, I'm really going to take my time. I'm going to say things with intention. I'm going to wait for reactions and I don't have to hurry up and get out stage and, and like, um, uh, just, this is my idea. And I think it's sort of a good idea. Maybe we should consider it. So you're able to create a better presence and calm down, incorporate those pauses between ideas and within ideas. What I love about that is the underlying message of the power of the pause and even the, the visual metaphor of the throwing of the ball, the idea, and then waiting to catch it back slows us down. Because if there's one thing I know that happens if I get nervous is I can start to talk faster and I forget to inhale and it's, oh, my goodness, and, like, I just want to get out of here. Yes. Slowing it down slows me down and yeah. allows it to become a two-way conversation versus yes. this verbal tirade. Exactly. Exactly. We don't, and that's what's so funny is I think a lot of us, and particularly emerging leaders, because we haven't had enough reps or we feel like the pressure's on us, we forget about it's a conversation. Even if this is a proposal, even if you're supposed to give a report out, there still should be some level of engagement. And so how can I incorporate them? How can I get their reactions? How can I make this a conversation? And that pause or that, that image of the, the ball is a helpful way to start. So, Hope, what was the inspiration for you as you finished writing the book and having written two, and I'm on my third at the moment, Yay. as you got to the end and you looked back on that journey, what did you take away from the experience of writing mm -hmm. Speak Up, Damn It? 
Yes. It's a funny question. I actually reflected on this this morning and I'm, I'm doing, I'm writing a, a blog post right now on perfectionism. And one of the things I I've done a lot recently on how to communicate with difficult people. And we think, or, and we think about the, the obstacles that arise when we are communicating. A lot of times we're like, Oh, it's the person who doesn't listen. It's the interrupter. Mm-hmm. It's the mansplainer. But the biggest obstacle is often our own perfectionism. And so one of the things, see, there's an answer. One of the things that I had to really work on myself was this idea of my fear around, I need this book to be perfect. I need this to, to reflect, be, be something for everybody. I need to have the, the exact right amount of research, but not be too heady to be entertaining, but not light. And I kept ruminating. Mm-hmm. And so I'd worry about what people would, would, would say or how they would react. And then I would worry that no one would read it and no one would react. And I finally got to a place where I was like, I have to just enjoy mm-hmm. the process. I knew that, and then my advanced readers confirmed that people would find value. It's very, very exercise driven. So there's tons of activities and exercises. And I knew that people would find value, but I had to be okay never actually getting that feedback. I mean, like I'm enjoying this process. It's codifying my thoughts. It's providing a manual that can be useful tomorrow. And in five years, these, these, these strategies are not going to expire. And knowing that the process was enjoyable and that the product I'm proud of, that had to be enough. And that's where I am. Well, congratulations on the publication of your book, Speak Up, Damn It!, how to yeah. question, uh, sorry, quieten your fears. Maybe question them You too. question them too, exactly. Yeah, exactly. How to quieten your fears, polish your presence and share your voice. So how can listeners and watchers on our YouTube channel learn more about you, your work, and of course, the book? Yes, everything is sort of funneled into my name. It's Hope Timberlake. I am not related to Justin, sadly. I do get that question, but that you know should help you remember. So it's hopetimberlake.com or Hope Timberlake on LinkedIn. Uh, when you go to the website, you see the link for the book it's on Amazon. Um, but I love connecting with people on Instagram, on LinkedIn, emailing me hope at hopetimberlake.com. I love hearing success stories. I love questions, people saying, well, I've got this issue and I don't know how to resolve it. Often those types of questions that come in are really helpful for me too, because they can create a new blog post or a new video. So uh, please connect and uh, any way I can help someone, I'm always happy to do so. Hope, thank you for sharing your communication expertise and some of those tips and skills for all of us today. Yay, thank you, Ryan. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.